If you would this morning, turn with me to the book of Job, chapter 1. Job chapter 1. We will begin reading with verse 6. All right. Job 1 and 6. I'm reading from the uh, NIV. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. I sometimes end my messages uh, with a challenge or, or a big question, as I call it. Something to make you think or do some soul searching. Well, this morning, I'm going to start my message with a big question. Look at verse 8 again in Job. Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. My question is, would God say this about you? Would God say this? About you. Now, would it offend you if I said probably not? I mean, who knows? There may be a few of you in here uh, who could honestly answer yes to that question. Uh, I'm not going to discount that. But I think most of us would have to say no to that question. I mean, I would. As hard as I try, I always fall short. I don't always fear God. I don't always shun evil. I mean, I try. I really do. But I always fall short. Maybe you do too. So most likely the answer to that question is no for the majority of us. But here's another question. Okay, I I fibbed a little. There's two big questions for you this morning. Verse 11. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. My other question is, would God confidently accept a challenge like this from Satan concerning you? Could God, with confidence, accept that challenge from Satan in regards to you? Are you depressed yet? Well, you shouldn't be. The truth is you shouldn't be, because the answer to that question, believe it or not, is yes. Yes. God can confidently accept the challenge from Satan 
to take everything you have. And God knows that you will not curse him to his face, as Satan put it. If you are a child of God, a believer, then God would and will take Satan up on that challenge. And for most of you, he already has. This morning, I'm going to talk to you about suffering. Now, last night I was talking to my dad, and he asked me what I was preaching on today, and I told him, suffering. And I explained a little bit to him about what I was doing, and he, he was quiet for a moment. He says, well, you know, son, I don't think I've ever heard anyone preach on suffering before. <laughs> I said, Dad, I'm not surprised. It's not a popular topic. If the TV preachers talked about suffering... They wouldn't be making any money now, would they? (laughs) Suffering is not a popular topic, but it is one that is addressed in great depth throughout the Bible. As a matter of fact, it's the story of the Bible. Jesus Christ suffered for our sins. People throughout history in service to God suffered as a result of being children of God. This morning I'm going to show you why there is suffering in the world, what God intends to accomplish through suffering, and most importantly, how to face suffering and overcome it. So, let's get started here. Why is there suffering? Today, 3,000 little children will die of malaria most of them in Africa. There will be numerous mothers and fathers heartbroken by the loss of their children to this one disease. And this year alone, 1.5 million people will die in Africa, just Africa, from AIDS. 50 million people die every year overall, many from disease and most of them young and in agony. As a matter of fact, 100 people have died since I started preaching this message. And right now in this room, there are people who are in pain, who are sick, who are trying to cope with the loss of a loved one, who are having marital problems, who are struggling with addiction, who are unemployed, who are fighting depression and barely clinging to hope. We live in a world full of suffering, and that's not going to change. It's not going to change. Moving to a new neighborhood won't change it. Moving to a new city won't change it. Moving to a tropical island in in a remote South Pacific won't change it. Making more money won't change it. Locking yourself away from society won't change it. Becoming a Christian won't change it, despite what the guys on TV might tell you. This world has been ravaged by sin. We've been ravaged by sin, and a byproduct of sin is suffering. When Adam and Eve committed the first sin, disobeyed God, God not only cursed them, but he cursed This earth. 
God cursed Adam and Eve and humanity and the earth for disobedience. Now, as a result of that, this, this earth is decaying, this earth is falling apart, it's, it's, it's out of whack, everything is going wrong. We've got tsunamis, we've got earthquakes, we've got huge forest fires, we have horrible storms, tornadoes, hurricanes, things that destroy, things that take people's lives, that take everything they have. It's a result of sin. When men get mad at each other, we start wars, and people die as a result of these wars. When we get mad at one another, we, we say hurtful things. We cause suffering with our words. There is disease and disabilities. It's all a result of sin. So there are, there are actually four main causes of suffering. Sin, you can trace it all back to sin, but there's four main causes of suffering in your life. Today, let's go over those real quick. Our sin can cause suffering in our life. The sins of others can cause suffering in our lives. Satan's activity causes suffering in your life. And our sovereign God causes suffering in our lives. That's right. That's what I said. God can bring about suffering in your life. He doesn't create it, but He allows it. Now, most of the time, suffering finds its roots in not just one, but a combination of these four causes. So, for instance, in 1 Chronicles 21, David, the king of Israel, orders a census to be taken of the people. And that may seem insignificant, but God explicitly told the kings of Israel not to take a census. This was to remind them that Israel's security was not based on the number of fighting-aged males, but on God's protection. God wanted the king and all the people to trust in him alone, not in military might. And David, however, breaks laws that, that God set in place, and he takes a census. Tens of thousands of people suffered as a result of David's choice. As a matter of fact, 1 Chronicles 21.1 states, Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. So the suffering that Israel suffered was the result of David's sin and Satan's activity. And actually, if you... I didn't put this in here. I just remembered. If, if you look in, in uh, Samuel... Is it 1st or 2nd Samuel? I wish I could tell you for sure. But it'd be chapter 24. It's the same story. There's more detail in Samuel than the Chronicles. It's basically the same timeline. It says that God incited David to take that census. Now, it's different viewpoints, and they don't contradict each other because God is sovereign over everything. See, David did what he wanted to do. Satan did what he wanted to do, and God allowed it. So God allowed Satan to incite David to sin. So in that case, we see those three elements there. And remember the passage from Job that we read earlier? Notice that Satan didn't come to God asking to wreak havoc on Job. God's the one who brought it up. God's the one who threw down the gauntlet. 
And God's the one who made the rules. You cannot lay your hand on a man, is what he said. So Job's suffering wasn't a result of his sin or anyone else's. It was a result of God's sovereign will and Satan's activity. The bottom line is that suffering is a part of life. Regardless of how it comes about, it's a part of our life. It's here to stay. Now the good news is that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. If you are a child of God, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, then God is at work in the midst of your suffering. God doesn't shield his children from every bad thing in this world. I believe he does shield us from some things that we would otherwise experience apart from his saving grace, but not everything. The Christian life is a journey to perfection. We are being made perfect. We are being conformed into the image of Christ. And it's, it's not going to happen in this lifetime, mind you. So don't think by any means that you'll get there someday. Jesus has got to come back first. It's not going to happen in this lifetime, but it will happen. And as one of his tools, God uses suffering to perfect us. So the question is not, why me? How many times have you asked that? Why me? Why is this happening to me? Why now? What is wrong? What did I do to deserve this? That's not the question. The question is, what is God up to in me? What is God up to in me? So let's look at that. There's four things. Let's look at four things that God intends to accomplish through our suffering. Number one, he is teaching us godliness. You look at Romans chapter 5. Verses 3 through 5 in the New Living Translation, it says, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us, because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts With this love. Suffering is an instrument in the hands of God's Holy Spirit to build up believers in godliness, to make us more like Christ. That's why we can rejoice in our suffering. You know, we're not happy to be suffering. That would be sick. (laughs) And you know what? There's some religions that, 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 that base their whole belief system on that. The more you suffer, the closer to God you'll be, the more God will love you and accept you. Whatever. That's just sick. We're not happy to be suffering. I don't do a dance every time something awful happens to me. Yay. Something else terrible. Bring it on. We're not happy to be suffering. We need to have a talk if you are. (laughs) We're happy that God is using our suffering. It's not being wasted if you are a child of God. God uses suffering to build something in us that would not have been there otherwise. Let me say that again. God uses suffering to build something in us that would not be there otherwise. By no other means. The Holy Spirit uses our suffering to produce in us endurance, character, and hope. Things that we wouldn't have If we didn't go through difficulties and trials. 
So God uses suffering to teach us godliness. The second thing is that he, he, he is giving us joy in Christ in our suffering. God uses suffering to cause us to prize Christ more than we prize this world. Listen to what Paul has to say in Philippians 3, verses 8 through 11. This is in the English Standard Version, which probably none of you have, but it's a really good translation, similar to the New King James. Philippians 3, 8 through 11. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Suffering gives us a correct estimate of the things of this world. They are passing away. I, I read or heard a story once about a guy that went around uh, putting sticky notes on all of his stuff, his car, everything. And on the notes he wrote, uh, soon to be burned. And he's talking about the day of judgment when all of this stuff's going to get burned up anyway. I thought it was an interesting story. But that's the reality of it. This stuff is passing. It's here for a day and it's gone. The things that we tend to treasure, as far as eternity is concerned, are worthless. Have no value beyond this present time. Things that we once deeply valued seem insignificant in the face of suffering. Many of you know this. As the pleasures of this world fade, in our estimation, the salvation of Jesus Christ is magnified. God ordains by His Holy Spirit that our suffering will make clear to us both the passing treasures of this world and the surpassing greatness of the joy of knowing Christ. God uses suffering to cause us to treasure the things of this world less And Jesus Christ more. That's his second purpose in it. His third purpose, he is building up the church through our suffering. I love this one because it's become such a reality for me. God uses suffering not only to work godliness in us as individuals, causing us to prize Christ more, but also to work maturity throughout the whole body, the whole church. Your suffering does not belong just to you. You are part of a body. And your suffering is for the body's maturing as much as it is yours. I owe a lot of who I am today, not only to Jesus Christ, but to many of you. Because I've watched you over the last, what, 13 years I've been a part of this church. I've watched many of you suffer and go through difficulties and overcome. And it's inspired me. It has matured me. I apologize ahead of time for 
putting you on the spot, but I, I just feel the need to do that at the moment. A few of you in particular, please forgive me. With Johnny, Randy, and I know Bob's not here today. Many years ago, you guys endured a great deal of suffering, and your wives as well, when we were without a pastor. You guys made lots of difficult decisions. I'm sure you cried many tears. Uh, I'm sure you went through a great deal of agony. But I want you to know, not only did you literally save this church through what you guys did, but you inspired me. You made an impact in my life. I'm a better man, more of a man, because of what I saw in you guys and in you ladies as you went through those difficult times. So your suffering, although it was intense, I imagine, I can't even imagine what you guys went through. It wasn't wasted. You know that. I mean, look around. But it wasn't wasted on me either. Thank you. Cindy? I've known you for how long now? 13 years, I guess. You're like my second mother. Uh, I don't know how many times I was over at your house, late at night, watching movies with the, other, the rest of the gang. But I've watched you over the years go through lots of things. I, I didn't know you when, uh, when, you were, when uh, Don was still here. But you did lose your husband before I ever knew you. But you endured that. You've endured a great deal of pain in your body for multiple reasons. You've had other things that you've gone through. You've had your ups and your downs. I'm not going to say that you were just a, a fiery spark plug through everything. I know you had your, your valleys too, Cindy, but you've inspired me. You've made me better because you've, 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 you've always given God glory. You've always returned to God and, and retaken hold of that hope. And because of that, I'm a better person. There's many other people here who would say the same thing. So thank you. Thank you. I mean, I could go on. I, I, I could take all morning probably. I want you to understand, those of you who are newer to our congregation, that when you become a part of this body, you're becoming part of more than just a church who has meetings and music and sermons. You are becoming part of something bigger than you, the body of Christ. And you can gain so much through the fellowship that we have together. Someone else who has inspired me, she's not here this morning, but it's my wife. Now, don't tell her I say any of this, because then she's going to hold it over my head. (laughs) My wife has gone through so much this last year. Many of you know that. She's had five surgeries, five of them in a nine-month period. Three, three major surgeries on her throat, her neck, open heart surgery. Didn't have to do with her heart, but they had to open her up like open heart surgery and brain surgery. And uh, as tough as it was for me, it was a lot tougher for her. And I watched her bounce back time after time. And, I, and, I, and you know, instead of getting bitter, she, and she had her moments, trust me, we all do. But instead of getting bitter and lashing out at God, she held on to her faith and she stayed strong. You know what she talked about when she was recovering from surgeries? Man, I can't wait to get back to work. I just want to go home. I just want to get back to normal. 
She inspired me with her tenacity and with her drive. But you, you know it goes beyond that. Because, you know, her parents got divorced, what was it now, six or seven years ago? A lot of you don't realize that her dad was the pastor of this church. And that was an awful time when he resigned, when he left, and then he left his family. We've had restoration, you know, in recent years now, so it's good there. But she went through so much during that time. And I just want to share this with you because I want you to understand how much your response to suffering can impact other people. But when, when we found out Pastor Benson was, was hired, was going to be our new pastor, Amy came to me at home one day. And she was just crying, and she, and she cries, and she says, can we leave now? Can we leave now? And I hate it when my wife cries. I can't stand it. <laughs> Husbands, you know this. It's the worst thing in the world when your wife cries. There's nothing you can do about it. And uh, I was a little caught off guard, and I asked her, well, why? And she says, I can't do it anymore. I can't, I can't be there anymore. I can't be around those people. It's not them. It's just knowing. I just, they're going to look at me. I mean, I'm his, I'm, uh, his daughter. They're always going to see me as, as his daughter. They're always going to think of what he did. I can't do it anymore. I just want to get away and start over. And I told her, okay, I told her, I think we need to stay. That's just what I feel. I think we need to give Pastor Benson... Uh, the best chance he has to succeed. I, I, I was worried that if we left, people would get the impression that we didn't believe in him. I didn't even know him, but I just felt like maybe some people would get the impression we didn't believe in them and it would cause some issues. I said, I think we need to stay for a while. He wants us to, and I think we need to. And I told her, but if you say the word, we'll leave. And I won't hold it against you. I won't hold it over your head. I'll never say another thing about it. We'll find another church. We'll move on. It'll be over with. If that's what you really want. And, and I, I made sure she understood it. I would not have any hard feelings towards her at all. And so she thought about it and she said, okay, we'll stay. And that meant so much to me, knowing what kind of pain she was going through. And it inspired me as well. It gave me that extra kick to press on. And as a result of her commitment, as a result of her not breaking down in the face of suffering, we got to be a part of a a miraculous turnaround at this church. Miraculous. Look where we are today compared to... We were homeless six years, seven years ago. Literally homeless. We didn't have a home as a church. And now we've got 19 acres of land and a big building and probably we'll need another one soon, running two services. It's just great. And we would have missed out if we gave up. So I encourage you this morning. Your suffering can be an inspiration to the rest of the body of Christ. I think of many of you who have gone through so much. Starlet, 
Many of you may not even know her story, but she's, we were over at your house for dinner just a, you know, several weeks back, you two, Ron and Starlet and, and Chris, and we were, you, you, at near the end of the evening, you were, I never heard your story before. You were telling me about all the stuff you went through, and I, I won't go into it here, but, I, and I remember at one point you said, oh, I'm just, you know, rambling. You, you've, I'm talking too much. You've probably heard enough, and I, want, I don't think I said anything, but I wanted to tell you, don't stop. Because listening to everything you went through put the stuff Amy and I have been going through into perspective. And seeing your faith and your hope inspired me. And I actually left that night standing a little bit taller going, man, if she can do it, if Ron can do it, I can do it. I can make it through this stuff. So again, you inspired me. I mean, this is the stuff I'm talking about. Your suffering can be an inspiration to those around you, to others. Not just your family, but, but this family. So don't give up. Don't lose hope. Overcome. God will use your suffering to build the body of Christ, His body, to inspire the people around you, and to inject hope into their lives. He will. And He does. The fourth thing that God is doing through our suffering is He is preparing us for glory. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7-18, through 18, NIV, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, I love the way he says that, light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul is saying that God ordains by the Spirit and by faith for our suffering to show us God's power in a way that we could not have seen it without having experienced such difficulty. Our suffering shows us God's power in our weakness, and it prepares us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Your suffering prepares you for a glory that you cannot even comprehend beyond this life. So through suffering, God teaches us godliness. He gives us joy in Christ, putting things into perspective for us. He is building up the church, and He is preparing us for glory. So your suffering is not in vain. It is not wasted. God uses it to build you up.
Now, let's get to the practical side of it here. How do we face suffering? What do we do in the face of suffering? How do we respond? I want to share five things with you quickly on how to face suffering. Number one, magnify Jesus. Learn to suffer in such a way that Jesus is magnified in your difficulty. If you don't approach suffering with a desire for Jesus to be magnified, then the hardships you experience will completely overwhelm you because of their magnitude. Trust me, I know. (laughs) I've been there. Jesus needs to be bigger than your problems, than your adversity, than your pain. So don't focus on the size of your problem. Focus on the size of your God. There is nothing bigger, nothing greater than our God. But the magnitude of God is diminished in our lives when we take our eyes off of Him. When He isn't the object of our affection or our devotion. Make Christ bigger than your suffering by giving Him glory and praise in all circumstances. Learn how to suffer in such a way that Christ will be great in your eyes and in the eyes of all who see you suffering. Magnify Jesus. The second thing, love him more. Love Jesus more. Learn to suffer in such a way that Jesus becomes more precious to you than ever before. If you endure suffering and Jesus is not more precious to you on the other side, then your suffering has not yet fulfilled its purpose in you because one of its purposes is to make Jesus bigger in your life to make you love him more. Every experience, whether good or bad, is designed by our Heavenly Father to cause us to prize Jesus Christ more and more. Love him more. Third, know that God is for you. Know that God is for you. Learn to suffer in absolute confidence that God is for you and nothing can happen to you apart from his will. Remember, God did not allow Satan to touch Job. Even Satan is subject to God's will, to his authority, which means God is in total control of our situation. All things on heaven and earth are beneath the feet of our God. Sometimes he lets things take their natural course. Sometimes he sets boundaries and parameters. Sometimes he even intervenes. But he is always in control. God will not lay more upon you than you can handle. So you can know with confidence that you are going to make it through whatever trial, whatever disease, whatever heartache you may be facing, even if it takes your life. Because God is for you and he will not fail. What does the Bible say? If God is for you, who can be against you? No one. Know that God is for you. Fourth, rest in his grace. Learn to suffer knowing that you are accepted by grace through faith, apart from anything that you do either before or after your conversion. Suffering does not gain you acceptance from God. Whether you do everything right or everything wrong during your times of suffering, God won't love you more. Or love you less. He won't rescind his gift of salvation if you don't respond the way he wants you to when you suffer. He won't turn his back on you when your faith wavers. Thank God. (laughs) When your hope dwindles. 
when you question his motives. You are saved by the grace of God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and nothing else. So relax. Relax. Quit trying to earn his favor and just focus on bringing him glory through your actions and pleasing him through your obedience, knowing that he loves you unconditionally. Rest in his grace. That's the whole point of the Sabbath. We know that everything in the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of everything in the New Testament, a foreshadowing of Christ. And the purpose of the Sabbath in the Old Testament was a day of rest where no one worked at all. But what it was doing, it was, it, was, it was pointing to salvation. It was pointing to the fact that Jesus would someday save us, pay the price that we've been trying to pay all this time by obeying the law. He would set us free and he would say to us, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. What he's saying is you don't have to do anything now to be saved. I've done it for you. All you have to do is trust in me. So we are free to obey and we are free to serve God without watching our every little step, wondering if, oh, man, have I lost my salvation now? Have I lost my salvation? What do I have to do to get it back? No, you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And the only way you lose that salvation is if you walk away from him. And even then, that's really, really tough, my friends. Because God's got a tight grip. And the last thing, after resting in His grace, number five, embrace suffering. (laughs) I don't mean give it a big fat hug and wet sloppy kisses every time it arrives. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean approach it with a sense of purpose. Rise to the challenge. Be prepared. When times are good and things are going well, don't let down your guard. Prepare yourself for the next round of combat, so to speak. Keep your spiritual armor on, that armor Paul talks about. The armor of God. Stay in God's word and remember that God is at work in you when you suffer. So embrace it. Now before I close, just want to remind you, when you are facing suffering, magnify Jesus. Make Him bigger than the suffering in your life. Love Him more. Know that God is for you. Rest in His grace and embrace suffering. I also want to give you some encouragement. This is a heavy topic. And if you're not careful, you can get so wrapped up in it and so weighted down by it that you forget God wants you to enjoy the journey too. The Bible has a lot to say about suffering. But it also says we don't have to live in fear. So live. Enjoy the time you have on this earth. Make the most of it. There will be good times and there will be bad times. But you know what? The bad times make the good times so much sweeter. Don't they? Every trial you go through Every test you face makes you treasure the good things so much more. Your friends, your family, your spouse, your very life. It makes you realize what's really important. And when you are going through a good time, when you're on the mountaintop, 
it's so much sweeter because of the valley you just crawled through. And the neat thing about mountains and valleys is that when you're on the mountaintop and it's time to hit another valley, at least you've got some, some, some momentum going down. Right? So when you get down there, keep that momentum going so you can get back up the next one. Keep pressing on. Amen. In closing, I want to address two parties this morning, two groups, two kinds of, of individuals in this room. First, I want to address those of you who have not confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You see, this, the suffering that you experience apart from God um, can overwhelm you, can crush you, can destroy you. It'll make you bitter. Um, there's some unsaved people in this world that manage to make the most of suffering just by their makeup, their personality. But the suffering that, that, that you go through apart from God is really serving no purpose. There may be, a, sometimes God uses that suffering to draw you to Him for salvation. That may be a case. And most of the time, there isn't really a purpose in the suffering that you experience when you are not a born-again believer. But when you give your life to Christ, yes, the suffering continues. But now God uses it for His glory and for His purpose to build you up and to make you more like Christ. You have the opportunity this morning to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. To give your life to Him. To say, yes, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That He died on the cross for my sins. That He was buried and raised again. And that He will return to take me to glory. You have that opportunity this morning. You're not going to find that, that, that reality, that offering in anywhere else. Any other religion, any other belief system or lack of belief system. I want to read this, this quote. This is something that, that a, a fellow by the name of John Stott wrote. It says, I could never believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it? I have entered many Buddhist temples in different Asian countries and stood respectfully before the statue of Buddha. His legs crossed, arms folded, eyes closed, the ghost of a smile playing around his mouth, a remote look on his face detached from the agonies of the world. But each time, after a while, I have had to turn away. And in imagination, I have turned instead to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross, nails through hands and feet, Back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunged in God-forsaken darkness. That is the God for me. He laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. He suffered for us. Our suffering becomes more manageable in light of his. There is still a question mark against human suffering. But over it, we boldly stamp another mark, the cross which symbolizes divine suffering. We are not alone in our suffering. Jesus has suffered all for us, every one of us. He knows our pain. He knows our sorrow. And he has saved us from that. So please, I implore you, don't go another moment, another day, without giving your life to Christ. And letting Him make sense of your suffering. Giving you purpose. Giving you hope. Amen? And lastly, the second group I want to address 
is those of you who are born again believers, but you've lost hope. You, 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 the, the last trial or the last many trials have just driven you into the ground and you've lost hope. Don't take what I'm about to say the wrong way because I have to say this to myself a lot. So don't take it the wrong way, but shame on you. Shame on you. And I say that with a grin because I mean that as an encouragement, an admonishment, not a rebuke. I know how easy it is to lose hope, so I'm not trying to to diminish your your suffering. But have you forgotten Philippians 4.13? I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Look at the context of that scripture. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. Too often we restrict that scripture to simply being our... Go team slogan, our mantra, you know, to, to, go, to go take that test, to go get that job, to go climb Mount Everest, to, to do those things that seem impossible. But Paul is saying that I can do everything through him who gives me strength, like get cancer, like bury my child, like pick up the pieces after a divorce, like endure intense physical pain. I can do all those things through Christ who gives me strength. So shame on you for forgetting that. And I encourage you to remember that. Burn that into your heart. You can do everything through Him who gives you the strength. Nothing is too big for God to handle. And if you are a child of God, nothing is too big for you to handle. So take hope. Grab hold of that hope once again and don't let go. You can do all things through Him who gives you strength. Let's bow our heads together and pray in closing. Clay, if you wouldn't mind coming up and and playing for us. As we close this service this morning, I really appreciate Pastor Steve uh, when we close down worship. I hadn't told you what I was preaching on, but the Spirit was obviously already working. Nothing is impossible for God. I appreciate you um, calling uh, people to prayer. Uh, I want to give you all another chance as we close this service. We're going to dismiss. And uh, we're going to give you an opportunity. If if you want prayer, if you need special prayer, to be anointed with oil and have uh, the laying on of hands, Uh, I'd love to do that with you this morning right here at the altar. Um, If you want to make that commitment to Christ, give your life to Christ, then you can certainly come forward and have us pray that prayer of salvation with you, a prayer of faith. If you want to recommit your life to Christ, we'll pray that with you. But we want to give you that opportunity this morning to come forward and be prayed for. Um, If you don't feel the need to come forward, then pray on behalf of those who do and worship uh, this morning. Give God praise as we close out this time. Amen. Come forward if you would, if you would like to. And uh, we would love to pray for you this morning.
Otherwise, let's just worship together. Let's go ahead and stand and worship.